Hello everyone, it's Paul Newbegin here from the Past Podcast with some very exciting news. I am absolutely delighted that Series 5 of the Past Podcast is brought to you in partnership with our wonderful friends at Chefworks, who are our sponsors last time round as well, so it's great to have them back. And as you'll know, they are famous for outfitting chefs, kitchens and front of house all around the world. Chefworks offer a collection of great uniforms, so to check out their full range, you can visit chefworks.co.uk. Thank you again to Chefworks, and it's great to be back for Series 5 of The Past Podcast. Enjoy! I was invited kindly by Nick Edgar to come over and see him in at the Rybeck in the Lake District after I asked him if we could catch up for an interview um, he's somebody that I've wanted on the show for a really long time and he has returned to chefing after a little break uh, after his time at the Sambling and I think he's kind of if uh, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this I, hope he's, I think he's kind of re- rediscovered himself um, and I'm so happy about that because he is a really really talented chef and that was evident in the food which he kindly let uh, me and my partner try some of um, really really fantastic cooking and it was great to see him stepping back into the kitchen and um, on the start of a journey I think now on a project that he can really establish himself at because he's such a talented chef and I don't think he needs all the kind of some of the complexity in the dishes that he talks about at his time in the salmon he doesn't need that to let his talent shine. I hope he doesn't mind me saying this because he's just such a talented chef. Uh, and the food was just stunning that we tried. Uh, and he's a nice, just such a nice guy, so welcoming. Um, so I really hope you enjoy this. And thank you, Nick, for, for coming on because I've wanted you on for so, so long. And you know that. And it was great to meet you finally. So uh, thank you, mate. Cheers. And enjoy the show, guys. I need to uh, I need to keep you awake at least for forty five minutes if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. You don't get. Do you get tired during the day? No. No, no, it's fine. You Not when I'm it, talking. I suppose you're used to it by now, aren't you? These yeah, long, yeah. long days. And... Yeah, it's like an athlete, isn't it? You get, <laughs> you get used to it and practice, <laughs> and you're you Yeah, it's like it's like when I took ten months off, and uh, everyone's like, "Oh, you need to start going to bed at a decent time and eating," and it's just like, but my body's known everything that's not normal for longer than it's known normal so this is now normal for yeah. my body so why why would I change it now but yeah I, do you know what interested me I was thinking this on the way over here is that obviously you took that time off and I can imagine a chef of your calibre was getting approaches all the time right from different yeah, projects yeah. and this so what was it that made you go right this is the one I think um I was I was looking for a, a project which, for the first time in my life, gave me work-life balance. I think that's something that chefs talk about, and I think top chefs now are trying to bring it into their brigade, so restaurants are closed three days a week, the hours and everything. But we don't think about it, what we're going to do it for ourselves. And I, I'm a really hands-on chef. I like to be in the kitchen. I like to be in there in the service. I like to cook the meat, fish, and you know all them sort of things. So I needed to find an operation that was going to allow me to do that with a, with a company and a, an owner that was... You know, leaning more that way, and and coming part of the the Wildsmith groups, you know, it was a dream come true because the real foodie destinations look after their staff, and it was it was just a project that I couldn't turn down. It was it was too good, and it was so it just was like it felt like the right yeah right time and yeah. To be honest, to be honest, I wasn't even looking to come back into work oh, until right, like okay. January February next year. I was really going to take a whole year off. I say financially, I put myself in a position where I could. Uh, and I think, you know, for the longevity of my career and probably even my life, I just wanted to really take some time out and actually invest it back into my family and yeah. say a little girl. And, you know, yeah. I, I don't want I've always said I never wanted to be a part time dad because I've never been a part time chef. So why would I want to yeah, yeah, yeah. dumb down being a parent? So, yeah, it was right time, right place. And I say Andrew Wildsmith, the owner, um, I met him uh, Michelin event two years ago now and. We we connected there, and I think he, you know, he just contacted me, and we just had a few chats, and you know, we're we're here sat now five months later, and exciting times ahead, really. Yeah, I mean, so 
obviously you mentioned it. I think we've literally just come straight from lunch, and obviously I've been I've been following your career for a long while now. Obviously, I became known you most probably from the Samling was when I yeah. kind of discovered you. Um, but obviously before that at Le Manoir. But what I wondered is Oxfordshire boy, right? Yeah, was at the Le Manoir all the way through the ranks and head chef. No, it's 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 an interesting um, it's an interesting journey. As I say, um, started off when I was. 15 in a local pub in my village literally putting things in microwaves taking it out and you know at 15 you think oh that's great and you go to college and a good friend of mine at college was working at a restaurant called Charles Napier which um well, it lost its star this year but it's had a star for a couple of years and I was a pot wash there and me and him took it in turns on Saturday Sundays who was pot washing and who was prepping and then one day he started getting elevated to being cooking on the garnish and I was like oh hang on what makes him better than me T- typical probably like chef rivalry even at the age of 15 like oh what makes him better than me why is he allowed to cook and I'm not and I carried on pot washing and then one day the garnish chef just didn't turn up the full time on so I had to go on and um, cook garnish at the same sort of time the other guy that was a pot wash um, he got offered a full time job after college but they didn't offer me one um, which again sort of put my nose out of uh, joint a little bit so the best way I, I, I thought of counteracting that is um, I applied for an apprenticeship at the Manoir. So I was still at college at the time. I still think I had about nine months left at college. Um, and I applied 17-year-olds, wet behind the ears, into, into that kitchen back in yeah. sort of 99, 2000. It was, um, it was an interesting kitchen. I think the, the whole industry, you know, we've come a long way in 18 years, but back then... It was still there were some some things there that have you know really shaped me as a chef. Make sure I don't ever go down them lines. But um, so yeah, so I, I took that job. But the manoir was always a dream of mine because I grew up ten minutes away. I was like six miles down the road. We always used to drive past it when we were going to see my grandma, and I was just like, oh wow. And um, it was funny because one of my favorite TV programs growing up was uh, Chef by Lenny Henry, which actually has inspired me to become a chef. And I always thought that was filmed at the manoir, and it was only later on in life that I realised it was filmed at Lauterland but yeah it was you know the manoir has always been um, that place for me uh, so to get an apprenticeship there was it was you know it was a great feeling um, and obviously I did three years there stayed as an apprentice and then on the on the an, annual three year uh, probation and um, I got promoted to Demi Chef to party so I skipped quite a few positions right, yeah, right. which was which was nice because it's kind of like a sign of confidence in you as well yeah as well and as i say back in the day there was quite a few french chefs there and they used to give you uh, a lot of jip and stuff being you know <laughs> the bottom of the run and uh, all of a sudden I, I you know leaped straight over the top of them um so i stayed there for another year and a half i, I did it four and a half years to the day and i think after about four years gary jones um suggested i entered the william heppenstall award so um you know i went through that whole process and I was lucky enough to win win the awards, which was giving me three and a half thousand pounds to go travelling yeah. around the world doing stages, which is big. Yeah, it was big, and three and a half thousand pounds eighteen years ago or fourteen years ago was a lot of money. Yeah. But then, um, you know, flight flights were only a couple of hundred pounds yeah. and stuff like that. So it was a great opportunity. So from there, I actually um, took the opportunity to go to America um, to do some stages. Uh, stage at WD50 for a month um, then I flew to Chicago I did, uh, did a couple of days at Charlie Trotters although despite what I thought was going to be an epic time it was, it, was, it was really disappointing and you know too many stages not doing anything and it just went against everything I believed in his food and I'd read his books about raw and fresh and things, things were being done so early in the day and I think it was 42 chefs and it was just like all you were doing is putting a drag of puree on a plate and that was it for your day. And then you're still doing 18, 19 yeah. hours and it was too much. Repetitive. And- yeah. And probably one of the best things that ever happened is one of the chefs just came up to me and said, oh, have you, have you had a new restaurant just around the corner? And I was just like, no, no, no. He's like, oh, it's called a linear. And I was just like, oh, brilliant. And he's like, oh, you know, just go and knock on the back door. You know, they've only been open. I think at Linear at this point, it had only been open six months. <laughs> so walking around the corner from Charlie Trotter's and, you know, I took the ballsy move of just like saying enough's enough. Thanks. I'm just going to, you know, go. So um, I knocked on the back door and uh, spent my remaining time in Chicago. I think it was like three, three and a half weeks. I just went and spent in uh, Linear. And at the time, it was <laughs> like it was it was coming from the manoir that was so classical, so structured, so 
so regimented to something that was so the polar opposite. Mm. And, and, and to be honest, again, you know, we're talking 2005. No one had seen this kind of food. And I came back um, and I was like, that's like the best restaurant in the world without a shadow. And yeah, three years later, it's crowned the best restaurant in the world. And, it, it, you know, it is. It's amazing. Yeah. But to go there when it was at the very beginning, yeah, yeah. when it was still like really raw. It, yeah, yeah it, was, it was fantastic. And it really opened my eyes. Um, so yeah, so I came back from America and before I went to America, I'd, I'd gone on a few trials for jobs and I think I had a trial at Tom Aikens, um, in London and foliage at uh, Mandarin Oriental, which is now obviously dinner by Heston. Um, and I also had a trial at, um, Juniper in Altrincham for Paul Kitchen. And I, I, I loved Juniper and I loved Paul Kitchen's philosophy on food. It was, it was, it was fun. Food wasn't serious. Like it, again, like it had been at the Mamar, it was fun and it really opened my eyes. So when I came back from America, I was like, decision was made. You know, I went up there. So I was up at um, Juniper for 18 months as a junior sous chef. Um, and then while I was there, I was I worked with Adam Simmons, who was one of my sous chefs at the Mamar, and he was someone that really looked after me. You know, really took me under his wing. Again, he was quite a local boy to the Mamar, and he saw me mm. wet behind the ears. And as I say, he protected me like a big brother. And I always had a lot of respect for him for doing that because he didn't have to do that. Um, so then when he came knocking to see if I wanted to be a sous chef at Adam Simmons restaurant at Danesfield House, and again, it was it was, it was was a great opportunity for yeah. me. So went and spent three years with Adam as a sous chef and, you know, great achievements there. Helped him get a star, um, four rosettes and I think seven, seven out of ten in Good Food Garden. And it was a great... And I learned a lot about taking manoir training and how you can go in your own direction with it. Mm. And then in 2010, I was applying for some jobs and um, I'm not sure I should be saying this, but I, I was very close to taking a job at Northcote Manor um, as a senior sous chef. And I think they, um, I think they phoned up Gary Jones for a reference and I hadn't spoken to Gary Jones for many years. And I woke up one day, he literally woke me up. I was asleep and um, he was like, Nico. And I was like, yeah I didn't know who it was and he was like I think you need to come and see me in the next hour I was like and I finally worked out who it was so I, in pure panic <laughs> uh, flew down that. yeah I got dressed quickly and like ran into the man I haven't been there for five years and he was just like uh, here you're looking for a job um, why don't you come back here so um, so yeah so I went back as a junior sue and for the next five years after that point I worked my way up through junior sue sue chef senior sue chef and then I think it was in 2012 I think I got promoted to head chef and it's uh, like a really big deal in yeah the, in the I, chef's career right absolutely I mean you, you only have to speak to some of the you know the top top chefs that always say you know oh my dream was always to work at the Manoir as a as a young chef and I'm like well I spent ten and a half years there on and off yeah. I went through the whole kitchen I went around every section two or three times you know some people say it's that was too long if you've ever worked at the Mamma, you realise that ten and a half years is not too long. <laughs> if you can hack ten and a half years, you're always going to learn something because every day there is like something different, a different chef, whether it's Raymond Blanc, Gary Jones. As I say, when I was growing up there, six or seven different sous chefs that have all gone on. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I look back to um, my first day at the Mamma and I was on Hot Starters and the Hot Starter team was Peter Eaton, Michelin star chef, Adam Simmons, Michelin star chef, Ollie Debu, Michelin star chef, Nordine Topham, Michelin star chef, and now myself. Yeah. There's a section there of five people. Most yeah. kitchens don't even have yeah. five chefs. Yeah. One section, and we've all gone on to yeah. win a Michelin star. Well, and it's just like it's, it's one. Of the, there are these little restaurants, aren't there, around the country? And you know, Gordon Ramsay probably counts himself as yeah. one. Raymond Blanc is one, and they're just they're top chef producing factories, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And Le Manoir is, is like I think even Heston, you know, did time at Le Manoir, didn't yeah. he? And, yeah, I mean, it's, know, it's it's phenomenal, so. phenomenal the people that have gone through the the kitchen there, and uh, you know, it was it was great seeing the book that um, Raymond Blanc rewrote, basically the Manoir book, what, two years ago now, and it's just like seeing your name against Marco Poi, Eric Chaveau, and it's just like wow, yeah, you know. But everyone thinks again that you know. They've obviously taken good chefs. No, they they've taken chefs. They've taken a chance, and that's what I love about Gary Jones, Raymond Blanc, and every element of that whole hotel. It's like they take people and give them a chance, and instill training and philosophies and and and, and mentalities that you know. You only have to look. You know, you never. You know, people say, "Oh, you're never that far away from a rat 
in a kitchen, you're never that far away from a manoir chef or a chef that's being trained <laughs> by a manoir chef. And, and, and there's something to be said about that because you can always tell one. You know, you, you, you look at the young up-and-coming chefs like Luke Selby's. You just look at him and he oozes class. He oozes professionalism. He oozes discipline. And that has all been instilled by the manoir and Gary Jones and Raymond Blanc. And, and, and that's what it brings. But unfortunately, the younger, the younger chefs nowadays, they don't want... They don't want them qualities. They just want to be an instant superstar. Mm. They want to go on MasterChef and get a restaurant or a book. Yeah. So. It's, it, it's different, isn't it? Every, you know, I was talking um, to Tom Shepard in the last series about this, and he's I would kind of put him in the same category as yourself. You know, Every time he's stepped up and he's worked with another big name or big restaurant, he's another one that's crossed the Samling in the past, same yeah, as absolutely, yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I said, you know, if I was a chef now, and I am interested in being a chef at one point in my life, that's the way probably I would not to say it's the right or wrong way, but I would do it your way and his way in that you you put your time in. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and the way I break it down for everyone really, and in particular young chefs, um, is you wouldn't you wouldn't build a house on unsafe foundations. So for me, the first four and a half years at the Mamma, I, I literally put triple layer concrete down. So I, I know my I'm grounded on my basics. The classical French and English cuisine, I, I can, you know, I can do it. Then when I went to America and I worked at Juniper and everything, that was like putting up fancy walls. Now, they're not mm. as thick as the foundations, but they've still got good substance behind them. But, you know, they're all painted in flamboyant, you know, the way <laughs> I look at it, they're all painted in flamboyant colours and, and wallpaper. It's decoration. Yeah, it's decoration. Then, then what I did, I think, was quite clever. And, and you know, I, I, I respect Gary Jones a lot for, him, you know, inviting me to come back. Is I went back to the manoir to learn how to do the things that, again, a lot of top chefs look as the, the byproduct. And they only find out when they only get their restaurant. And that's how to manage costs, manage teams, mm. manage HACCPs, all, all the boring stuff. But, again, like... I, I feel like I put a strong roof onto my house. I know, I know it sounds really boring and everyone says it goes on building a house and everything, but strong foundations, strong roof, and, and, and it does put you in good stead. But unfortunately, so many chefs now in the, the, the Instagram brigade, um, you know, they're, they're just interested in what food looks like on the plate. They're not interested about how much it costs to get it onto the plate. They're not interested in how many hours it's going to take for a team of six chefs to put it onto the plate. And they're not interested in about what it tastes like, which is, you know, the fundamental basis of being a chef is, yeah. does it taste nice? <laughs> yeah. You know, I know Ainsley Harriet used to say, oh, you know, you feed the eyes before you feed the, um, you yeah, know, in some ways, yeah, that, that can be true. But at the end of the day, you're not, you're not going to walk away from a restaurant and go, oh, that 10 course menu, oh, it looked fantastic, tasted terrible, but it looked fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But you might get away with going like, oh, do you know what? That was some of the tastiest food and it looked pretty too, you know, and, and I think, I think, it that, needs to be the second point is the oh, appearance. I, yeah, I mean, I always say, I mean, um, the food I cook is is it's third or fourth thing down the line is how it looks. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, as chefs, we always have a vision of how things look in our heads. It gets very frustrating when we can't make that vision come true. But that's when you, you either learn to shelve it for another day or you persevere, but don't try and force it. And, and, and too many times, you know, you can taste it on a plate mm-hmm. of food when someone's forced a dish. And, don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting here saying I've never done that because I have done it. And it was possibly one of the reasons that, you know, I, I left the sampling in the end was I was forcing things that I didn't feel comfortable with um, for progression. And you, you just think after a while, you just think, hang on, where is it you want to go? Mm. And you, you again, it takes a strong chef to say, actually, do you know what? I, I don't want to go down this direction. I want to go this direction or this direction. And as I say, the world is changing in the way we're allowed to work and the way we're allowed to work staff that you can't be in a kitchen 18, 19 hours a day. You can't stand there and make someone peel grapes with a spoon like I was made to when I was 17. You know, I loved every single second of it. And, you know, 18, 19 hours a day, it was great for me. I used to go out one fire exit and then come back in the other to come back and do some more. <laughs> it's where I learned so much. Like Devane and Fraga used to be a job that was done after service when the kitchen was cool. If I didn't sneak back in the kitchen and help all the senior chefs do that, then I would never have learned how to do that. So, yeah, it's 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 different times, I suppose. We were we were talking last night, and I uh, were talking about how you were going to put your menu together today, which everybody does. Five dishes that you that influence you or you like and you enjoy, and you came back two minutes later and said, "Yeah, done." Yeah. So you found it quite easy. Yeah. Well. <laughs> 
it, it, when you think, you know, I, I could sit here and reel off thousands of dishes that have impressed me. But when when I really thought about which dishes have inspired me and inspired my journey to go where I've gone in my career and end up where I am today, it was it was you know it was quite simple really. Mm. And you know, it's, it's, it's you know dishes from walking into the Mamo and that first feeling mm. of like wow to dishes that I've, I've almost been at a crossroads and I've, I've had that dish and I've gone like, well, that's the direction I need to right. go. Or, and even, even like one of the dishes, were, you know, is one from a linear and it taught me how to, you know, that really chefy word of deconstruct a dish. And it was the first time it wasn't, it wasn't the most flamboyant dish, the, the most cleverest dish that they do at linear. But for me, it was the one where I thought actually they've really broken down every single element that's in the dish and thought of a different way of doing it. And it's something I, I stand by today of taking one element and seeing how many different ways you can get it on the plate. So, yeah, it, for me, it was it was great. And We won't spoil your choices no, too no, much because no, no. I want to keep them yeah, surprised. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll start with your, we'll go through them one by one. So we'll start with your first one and why you've chosen it. Yeah, so the first one was, it was a dish. It was It's a classical Raymond Blanc dish uh, from the Mamma. And I just, I just remember eating it. And um, I had it on my induction the first day I turned up at the Mamma. And I just, I just put it in my mouth. And I'd never, it was like fireworks going off in my mouth. And I can still taste it now. And that, that's a sign of a good dish when you can literally, 20 years later, still taste it. And it was roasted uh, loin of monkfish. And um, it was sat on a bed of wild rice. And I'd never seen wild rice before. And, you know, it looks like twigs. And and it was lightly spiced with cinnamon and there was uh, lemon comfy in there and salt pickled sultanas had been in with jasmine tea and there was some peas and broad beans and it was just so fresh and vibrant and it was just like every mouthful was different. And obviously I sat there in the restaurant there and I was just like, wow, is this what food is about? Not my mum shepherd's pie and pickled cabbage or whatever. This this is proper food now. And was it wasn't clever as in you look at some of the techniques we use now of liquid nitrogens and things like that it was just clever because it was perfectly cooked ingredients put together with love and that's it and, and that's what i'm saying you can taste when someone's really thought about this and they're cooking it with love and then obviously when you go in the kitchen well it was, it was probably a, a good year maybe even two years before i actually managed to get around onto the fish say apprentice canapes appetizers cold stars hot stars so it probably been a couple of years and i remember actually having the privilege of cooking that dish and seeing the techniques of cooking the wild rice, and this is back before rationale ovens and water buffs, cooking cooking wild rice in a big copper pan with a cartouche on in the oven and just stirring it every two, three minutes and loving it. And and if it overcooked, then it was going in the bin. It had to be perfect. And it was it, it was the first dish that really made me think, right, attention to detail um, and, and just what can be achieved by simple things in in, 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 in a dish. Mm. What, what I was interested in is that, so we're kind of, you've just given me a good whistle-stop tour of your career, and we're at being a head chef in the Manoir in Oxfordshire. What then made you decide to come up to this part of the world? So I, le- I left the Manoir. Anyway, it, it, it was a tough, tough one. Um, many people thought I was going to be there for eternity, and, um, you know, I, I, love, I love the Manoir, I love the people there, but I needed to achieve something of my own. Um, you know, di- dishes in the manoir, they will always be Raymond Blanc and Gary Jones's. They will always be, you know, I, I, I try to create dishes there. And trouble is, is you're trying to fit a dish. You've got to be respectful to the, the quintessential English right. country house, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the classical French cuisine, then something that Raymond Blanc believed in and something that Gary Jones believed in. And then, and, and, and sometimes like dishes got so moved around and in the end, you're just like, maybe not. Yeah. So, so it's I, becoming not yours. Yeah, yeah, and, and and to be honest, it would never have been mine. If it goes on the menu at the Manoir, it would always be Gary Jones, Raymond Blancs, and 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 that's that went with the job, that went with the training, and I I, t- I totally understood that, and, and I was on board with that, and you know there was never any regret about that. But it was time that I wanted to see how good I was compared to my peers. As I say, people like um, Ollie the Boo was opening his restaurant, Robin Gill was opening his restaurant, and you're just thinking, ah, oh, hang on, I'm, I'm still here. I need to go and see what I, I, I can do. So obviously, again, I took a couple of months out and really, really thought about the, the process of where I wanted to go. And um, the Samlin came about and, and, I, and I just loved everything about the Samlin. One, the Lake District. I used to come up to the Lake District. I love it. 
it was always my plan to start a family at some point in the next two, three years after taking that job. And I just thought, do you know what? There's nowhere nicer in the world to start a family than here. It's just like nothing exciting ever happens here, but that's great. You know, it's perfect. You know that, you know, my daughter can play in the garden and there's no issues or anything like that. And everyone's just so nice. So when the, when the Samlin, the first connection with the Samlin, and I came up and you just, I just looked at the Samlin and I was just like, wow. Wow, wow, wow. I is mean, stunning? oh, stunning doesn't even come close yeah. to the Samlin. Like the Mamar is stunning, but the Samlin is just like next level. And and I just got such a great feeling from it. Um, Alice Elwick, the general manager at the time, I've never, ever had a connection with anyone that wasn't a chef like I did with Alistair. He just his, his philosophy on food, business, everything. So in, in line with what I was thinking. Um, you know, it was similar ages. He was a he was a young GM. I was a young head chef, and just their meetings and just a will that they wanted to take a chance on an unknown. You know, coming from the Mamar, I don't expect you to be good, but you know, you've always been protect not protected, but you've always been behind the guy that's been behind the guy, and no one really knows you. I mean, there was at the time I was probably looking at someone. There was probably four or five chefs that had been and done it themselves, but they were willing to give me a chance. You know, and 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 there was the the promise of um, the new kitchen, new restaurant, which started the day I started there. So it was a great project and, and really, really, really exciting times. So it just ticked every box. 22 cover restaurant, good team, new kitchen coming. It was like, oh, it was all my Christmases in one. Yeah, I know you said about your kind of strong roof that Gary mm. Jones gave you, but would it be fair to say that you kind of had to learn again because again like you said they're having two people above you and what yeah. have you would it be fair to say you had to kind of start from scratch absolutely uh from from everything um pe- pe- people say when you leave and again you only understand it when you, you you've worked at a memoir and you leave you're in a little bit of a bubble at the memoir it it's a fantastic kitchen there's fantastic infrastructure support there's always chefs there it doesn't matter if five chefs go sick there's always chefs there. I mean, it's it's an absolute army, uh, you know. And there's some great, you know, Benoit as well, and you know, just fantastic. So you you leave you leave the man with feeling really confident that you know how to manage a team and you know how to manage a food cost. And then you walk in and you're like, you know, obviously because the new kitchen was coming in like a year at the same time, like the grill didn't work, there wasn't enough plates, the whole cupboard didn't work, the stuff, the 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 the, the standard of the chef chefs that I was working with was 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 lower than I was expecting and then like the food costs come in and then you've got to manage it and you've got to cost a dish and you've got to do a recipe in the front sheet and I'm just like hang on I just need to cook some food at some point I need to cook some food as well so yeah I, I had to teach myself and again this comes back down to uh, Alistair um who who's taught me so much you know he he was he was he was tough in the first six months um, but it really, you know, he, he, he knew the storm that was coming. He was on me from day one, right, I need the costings of a dish, I need the costings of a menu. And, you know, again, some chefs never cost a dish in their life. And I was being made to cost dishes left, right, and centre. Um, and, you know, it really, really, uh, it was it was an intense, the first six months of the Samlin were intense. Um, and I had to teach myself, you know, all that stuff. And then for the first time ever, really put my personality on the plate. Yeah knowing full well that with the situation at Samlin that and the time I started that the AA guide and the Michelin guide were going to come within the first eight weeks and sure enough on the day I had an AA inspection followed by Michelin inspection in 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 24 hours and then you you, you take that deep breath when everyone's gone you think oh whew, relax and then literally the environmental health walked in and that was the hardest one out of all of them <laughs> because at the Manoir there was a team of three Five or four buses. people yeah three or four people that used to deal with environmental health and then they walked in and they were like what temperature you cook this and that and show me this and show me that and I'm like I've just been concentrating on cooking food so so it was good that I could then delve back into all the training I had at the Manoir with all the health and safety stuff and it really helped but yeah. It doesn't prepare you yeah. for, you know, it doesn't matter where you work. I don't think it prepares you for standing on your own two feet. And like my hat comes off to chefs that open their own restaurants and stuff like that. You know, it's 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 next level stuff. And, you know, and people think, oh, head chefs, you know, you come and go, you, 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 you come in late, you go home early, you have extra days off. For me, if you're doing it right, a head chef job is really hard. Mm-hmm. It really is hard. Um, and, and it's funny that, 
it's almost like your least thought part of the job is cooking food. Mm. Um, but now, in my current role, it's, it's, it's like everything else is so easy because I went through that six months of pain yeah, at the Samlin yeah. and I've had to really think about it. And now it's not, I'll think about it after. Before mm. I take a job now, I've got all my hassle stuff. Yeah. I've got all my food costs done. I can cost a dish quicker than I've ever costed one before. And now I can actually enjoy cooking food yeah. for the first time in a while. We'll, we'll talk about here. Yeah. I want to get your dishes in. So let's, yeah, have, yeah, sure. your, let's have your second dish. So um, I think for me, if, we, if we're going in, in order, I think the, the next one was a dish by Wiley from WD50. Um, can I say that's the one that I was in New York and wanted to go and yeah. I couldn't and then they shut as soon as I left so I'm devastated that's the one yeah. that I missed and I'm mean, so annoyed so well, I'm looking forward to well, the, 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 the story that happened was back in I think I can never remember the year it was, it was around 2003-2004 Raymond Blanc wanted to do an American French food revolution you know we see all these the obsessions events and things like that but back then uh, this this was a big deal. Mm. No one really done. And and the way he wanted to do it was, I think it was 10 of the top chefs from America. And that's before we really knew chefs from America. Okay, I think Nobu was known, Thomas Keller was known, and probably Charlie Trotter were the only three that were known. So no, it, was, it was the opening night and Wiley game. And I looked at this guy and I was just like, who are you? Are you, are you, are you the potwash from WD-50? Because... He just uh, he looks the polar opposite of what I was led to believe a chef looked like, like clean-shaven, nice hair, just looks the part. And uh, I can't tell you what an absolute breath of fresh air the guy was. And, 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 and the way he came in and he showed us young chefs, like everything was, we could access everything from him. He really, really, and, you know, he came to the pub with us and drink him. And, and as I say, I'd, I'd, I'd worked with some of the best ingredients in the world and it was always so classical. So like Ballantines of Fraga with quince and apple and, and everything. So the, one of the first dishes he did was he did a, a, a Fraga tree and it was topped with pickled anchovies. There was chocolate, tarragon and lemon on it. Now, these are all ingredients that I'd worked with and I was just like, I was just like looking at it and just going, oh, oh, sorry, what, what's happened here? Yeah. Have, you, have you messed up your menu? <laughs> and I ate this food and I was just like, Literally, uh, I was gobsmacked. I was like, "This is this is this is this is amazing." Like, shouldn't work. But yeah, yeah. And, and 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 you're thinking like, "Why have I done all this classical stuff?" And this is just like, you know, his whole menu. You know, I only picked one of his dishes for today, but his whole menu, I could you know, I could label it now. It's the first time I saw a slow cooked egg with parmesan broth, and it was just phenomenal. But this this frog dream shouldn't have worked, but it did. And I looked at him and I was just like, wow. And that's where I decided, because this is when I just won the William Hepburn Store Award and I was really looking to where I was going next. And that's where I was just like, I need to come and see your kitchen. I need to understand your thought process on getting food onto a plate. And, I, and I, when I was sat there last night, I was thinking, I was just like, wow, what a turning point that was in my career. Because I could have gone easy, could have gone simple, could have gone to France and learnt more classical French. But I decided, no, I want to go and learn yeah. this this polar opposite of everything mm. you know and, and it opened the door to go and work at um at wiley's and 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 what was great about that is uh, you know from day one he was so respectful to me from the from where i've come from but you know i know there's a lot of chefs i know paul foster from salt um also won the award and went there and i think we all say the same thing like we learned so much about his style of food but they learned so much from us because american chefs or particularly in his kitchen they they know how to do um, deep fried hollandaise sauce and things like that and, and, and Philadelphia chips and things like that, but they didn't know how to make a chicken stock. They didn't know how to make a chicken mousse. They didn't know how to do classical things. They don't so, have that foundation. No, they don't have the foundation. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 you know, so we, we, I, was a, I was almost like an, a valuable commodity in, in, in his kitchen that he could learn stuff. And I always remember, like, he was on the phone and... He'd have a new, a new, I could call them chemicals, but you know, new products that we use now, like your agar agars and your yeah, zampa. Yeah, yeah. And he was on the phone to Heston, and I'm thinking, wow, I grew up just up the road from Heston, <laughs> and you're on the phone, and I'm in a completely different country, and you're asking him for advice, and like Heston's like, like a god in our country, and and they're just talking, and I just think the whole thing was just next level, and it wasn't anything that I didn't see in this kitchen that didn't think, wow. 
and 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 you know and 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 again it's so great that he's brought his book out because you just look at it and it's just like wow it's just like a trip down memory lane. It's like a family album for me. Like every single dish is like I have a dish of sort of the mama that they did, or when I went over there, and I'm, you know, and I've been over there to eat three or four times, and it's just you know lamb, lamb with banana consomme shouldn't work, shouldn't work, but it does. How how does that work? And that take that just tells you what an, a phenomenal brain that Wiley has, and he, he really is. He's an inspiration, and as I say. I'm sure I won't be the first person who'll say that. I'm sure you'll speak to people on, on on your podcast and they'll say exactly the same. He's just and the nicest guy with it as well. So yeah, so that's the second for me. The second issue it was just a real crossroads for me, and 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 I'm so glad I saw that craziness and yeah. took that chance. So coming coming back from that, and and obviously then your time at the Manoir, when you now we, when we left off, your story sort of found ourselves at the Samling. Did you find it? with those kind of different, because they're quite very polar different styles, did you then find it easy to find, okay, well, what what is my style now that I'm going to have to communicate that as a sampling? Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. I mean, I think I think what, I think what working at WD50 and, you know, even Alinea and even, you know, with Adam Simmons is it's, it's taking the techniques but bringing them back to classical flavours. Now, I very rarely go off the classical flavors i just try not try and reinvent them because i don't ever think i'm reinventing anything i just try to do it a little bit different i cook what i'm comfortable to do um and 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 and, and basically what it gave me to do the confidence was, was actually be a little bit more bolder can we do that slightly different you know i've always seen things done a certain way can i can i do it another way and and i think yeah it just gave you the confidence but it made you think that's the great thing about working with wiley is you analyzed and thought you know, and even, you know, from when I took the job at Samuel, it was 11 years from when I worked at WD50. And I say, I was only there, I think, like, three weeks I was there. No, yeah, like three weeks to four weeks I was there. But the amount I learned, it was like I felt like I'd been there years. And just even now, like, the thought process of, you know, really evaluate everything you're doing um, and dare to be different. But for me, as long as I kept it within the classical training yeah, you know, I just tried to, to to marry the two and just take the two techniques. But I was reading quotes from yourself, and I believe it was about coming to here now. Is that you've you've sort of feel like you have reestablished or redefined what your cooking is is like? Yeah, I think I think for me, um, as I say, I, I went, I started going down the direction at the sampling at the end. Well, it was it was it was near the beginning and the end where I started going down a direction and it was forced through one thing or another myself the direction the the hotel wanted to go and I I was going places that I didn't feel comfortable probably too much WD-50 Alinea like taking things that shouldn't be like that and putting them into desserts and 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 there was more of an emphasis on what things look like on a plate and it and it went really against everything. Um, do you think you were just sort of getting carried away, or do you think it was just you know? Well, yeah, carried away possibly. Um, as I say, I think I think uh, you're obviously able to analyse it and recognise yeah, it. So yeah, I think I think you know possibly yeah. I think uh, I think we made a we made a bold choice, um, me and Alistair, and we, we we decided to go down the taster menu. And the idea was it was going to be smaller things that were a little bit more elaborate. So when you start going down the taste menu and thinking, oh, you're not going to have to do a la carte running around, how many are we going to sell? You can start emphasising a little bit more on precision and changing things up. And it wasn't, I don't know, it, I think it went too far. It, it didn't grow naturally. I think you hear a lot of chefs say, oh, mom, the, the, their food grew naturally over a period of time or a restaurant grew. And it went too quick. It did go too quick. I mean... I went from a kitchen that was the size of most people's kitchens at home with a broken grill, a broken oven, no hot cupboard doors, no plates, to quite possibly one of the most stunning kitchens you'll ever see in this country, if not in the world. So I think there was, well, you achieved this in this kitchen, so now you've got this. Yeah, you've got to step it up. Yeah, you've got to step it up. And and for me, I was just like, can we just like have a year of consolidation? And it's just like... But then it seemed negative, and the last thing I I want to be or to be seen to be is being negative because I'm I'm not really a negative person. So I felt like we needed to push on, and at this point, um, 
my fiance was my pastry chef and she was bringing some real skills as well and we we thought we'd push the boundaries and I say we pushed it too far too hard and that was probably the first time ever I started to fall out of love with food how did you gauge that then how did you gauge how did you uh, were you just kind of using your eye as a chef or your experience to do you know what I mean? How did you recognise that? that? It was going wrong. Yeah. Um, I listen to guests and I see plates coming back. And when food's coming back, I, I ask questions. And it was happening too much. Um, so you're just seeing too many full plates or half yeah. coming back? Yeah, and I started listening to people around me. Uh, yeah, I think maybe I'd stop, for the first time ever in my career, I'd stop listening to people around me. Uh, and any chef that stops listening to his team, then... Um, you know, and 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 for example, my my fiance, she's you know, she's she's worked with some of the best chefs. She's like top pastry chef, and she was like, "This isn't this isn't right." And she's she's like, you know, I've got I've got two major critics in my life. One is my fiance, and one is my best friend, who's head chef for Heinz Head, and he he's the the two of them know how to get straight to me. They know how to strip back the armor and go straight for my heart and. You know, the warning signs were there, and I you know I probably ignored them, and I, and then. I was just like, no, we've gone, we've gone too far. Here. And the first thing I, I literally overnight, I was just like, right, scrap this. We, what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the food that got the star, but we're maybe just going to take it up a level, but we're going to bring it back to homely comfort in proper food. And that's, and that's where now I, 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 I gauge the food of where I'm cooking. Now it's more food that I, I want to eat on my days off. It's just proper portions proper food all about flavor it's definitely proper portions yeah, um, <laughs> yeah we're both stuff. yeah well, <laughs> but that, 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 that's the thing that people you know again as a chef you have to analyze your clientele you have to analyze where you are and we're in the late district you've got to think that people have come here um they've been walking in the fells all day they don't want minuscule portions they don't want a few leaves from the garden dressed in a dressing it doesn't matter how good the leaves are and how good the dressing is they don't want that they want a proper portion they want to feel value for money, and that's that's where we are in, in life. And 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 trying to pitch that menu of the menu reads simpler than it actually is. As I say, I'm I'm, I'm not trying to alienate anyone. Again, you know where, where I'm now. I I'm I'm in a, in a place where I've I'm looking for the foodies, but I also have to feed the hotel guests, and the hotel guests aren't educated or foodie like kind of people they're here for a walking holiday but what i like to think is they'll they'll pick something off the menu that will read simpler than it is but when they get it they go oh wow well, yeah maybe i can try a michelin star restaurant or a nice yeah. fancy restaurant because actually that didn't alienate me kind as much like as crossing the bridge almost yeah absolutely and it's, it is you know i've got things on the menu like chocolate blancmange and you know Whenever I say chocolate blancmange or, or blancmange, I always think back to the one my mum and dad used to make me on a Sunday afternoon, strawberry-flavoured, shaped as a rabbit with green grass jelly on the side. <laughs> it's, it couldn't be further away from the from the truth. It's no. it's actually like a really uh, indulgent, delicate dessert. Um, but Which I like, I've just had, and it's delicious. Yeah, but yeah, but I like to play with the nostalgic notes. Of, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it is still a chocolate blancmange. Yeah. Um, it's just done in slightly bespoke way and you know we do it like reinventing pork chop with champ and things like that but it's not just you know just thrown in a bowl or anything there's there's a thought process yeah. and you know i top the i top the pork chop with a sage and onion granola because it always reminds me of when my mum used to cook sunday lunch and i used to sit there while waiting for my mum to serve and i used to eat the the uh, paxo sage and onion the crispy bits off the top and i used to love it it was a little bit burnt really crunchy but you could always taste the dried onion and the sage so I want to bring that nostalgic feeling because I'm sure I'm not the only one that used to do that, and 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 Pete, yeah, yeah, exactly, and 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 people, people, whenever I see guests, they're always like, oh, what was that on top of that? And as soon as I tell them, they're like, oh, that's so so clever, and it's like, it's clever, but without being clever, if that makes sense. But it will take you down memory lane. It's not, it's not chefified, but what it is is just for me anyway, and I. I always find it weird. I don't like kind of giving reviews because you never know if you're sort of saying the wrong thing. But yeah. to me, anyway, it was impact of flavour. Yeah. Every dish had complete impact of flavour that I've just had. You know, think about that. I kept saying on the first course, those pickled onions are just giving such a different yeah. 
in like just a boom in your yeah. mouth and but it's know. just a pickled onion yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but that's that's what it's there for right it's Absolutely. just you that yeah, pop yeah. and that bit of acidity and yeah. pickle and yeah and, and and again it's it's something I, sometimes on this podcast i sound like i know what i'm talking about yeah yeah and that was one of those times <laughs> no but, but 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 you're right but again like, like like i said before i'm 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 trying to pitch at people that aren't necessarily proper chefs or foodies but you know just understand food and yeah you know the the way you break it down is why why do we serve pickle with a cheese sandwich mm. why do we put vinegar and salt on, uh, on chips yeah it's to cut this you know and it's things like that these, these are the little things it's the little things on dishes that make dishes and that's the thing that you know in my opinion gary jones I'll, I'll always say this in an interview and it'll be wrong for me not to say he is in my opinion the best chef in the uk by a long 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 way he doesn't get the recognition he deserves because because of his his, his passion and loyalty for the man and everything. But his his palate is, you know, the only person for me that comes close is Claire Smith, and and it's their thought process of of the natural product and it's really high praise as well to give to two people. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it is, and and it's not. You know, I, I've been lucky to meet Claire Smith a couple of times when I was doing National Chef of the Year, and you know her thought process and the questions she asked. And it's just like, you know, and that's why I got on so well with her because her, her questions are the same questions that Gary Jones used to ask me every day. And even even now, like, I haven't worked with uh, Gary for oh, three years now. Every time I put a dish on the pass, every time I think of a dish, he's in the back of my head. It's like he stood next to me going like, does that need to be on the plate? Is that is that right? Do you think that's right? Don't worry about what it looks like. Put it in your mouth, taste it. And these are all the things that he used to make us do. He'd never let us dress a plate when we came out of idea, it was just like, put all the flavours on the spoon, put it in your mouth, does it work? If it works, we'll work on a presentation. If not, you spend two hours trying to get on a plate, finally make it look good, and then you eat it, and it's actually, do you know what? You know, and it's, it's yeah, it's it's trying to, try it for me, it's trying to get texture and acidity and all the things in food that for me you know it's quality ingredients quality cooking texture acidity they're massive things for me because no one likes boring food you need you need elements of surprise and uh, you know the way i used to dress plates i don't do it here because it's a very chefy thing but the way i used to do dress plates at the Samlin was it was dots of things and the reason i used to do dots of things was because all my purees and things were so intense like i remember i always i used to have a i used to have a dessert on it's funny enough um Michelin had uh, when uh, they obviously decided that I was going to retain a star and it was a coconut rice pudding with um, mango parfait fresh mango um, lime and curry ice cream now that dish that that can go one or two ways but it was about balancing and it was about making a beautiful rice pudding that tastes of coconut but it wasn't too sweet because i've got a real thing about sugar i'm not a big fan of sugar at all again i think that comes back to um gary jones as well and then this curry ice cream and it's about making a curry ice cream not taste like a vindaloo but just like aromatic all the great the cardamoms the cinnamon sort of flavors getting them in but what i used to think made this dish was i used to make the most intense lime puree or lime gel and i used to just thicken up pure lime juice with the tiniest amount of sugar but i used to put very small dots all around the plate so what would happen as you were going around and just getting a spoonful of everything you would just clip one of these things and it would just literally freshen up the mouth it would just it wouldn't you know it wouldn't kill the palate or anything it would just freshen it now the problem is is so many chefs well not so many chefs but people dress things differently and as i say it's about what it looks like now but for me if I was to put just one big blob of this lime puree, someone, the chance are someone's just going to go in and take it straight away, put it in their palate, and that's it. Yeah. Dish ruined. So I used to do lots of dots. So the idea is every mouthful, you're going to clip something different. Right. It was going to be a journey. It's almost strategic. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 exactly that. And, you know, you used to put garnishes around strategically placed, so everything was a, a journey. Now, trying to get your chefs, your young chefs in the kitchen to understand that the blobs aren't there to look pretty, because all of a sudden they start going all around the rim of the plate and it's like, no, keep it close. But, you know, varying them in size, so they do look a little bit different. But predominantly they are there to bring a different dimension for every mouthful. Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, the style of food I do now, it's a little bit more bolder. It's not so much fancy dots everywhere. So I, I have to be a little bit cleverer with how I do it. And that's things like 
again coming back to the pork chop with the granola i just cover the whole pork chop in a, a sherry vinegar gel so every mouthful is going to get a little bit of acidity you're not going to have to go around a plate looking for it it's just like every mouthful's got that flavor impact and and it, it is just understanding again why why things are done and I, I keep saying to the guys from the way i tie my apron to the way i roll my trousers up or uh, you know to stop them getting caught on the bottom of my shoe everything we do in the kitchen has a purpose and a reason and as long as everyone understands why we're doing it for that reason then they'll get on board with it yeah um and that's why i say to guys you, you know do you know why we do it like this and if, mm-hmm. if you don't ask the question why because if you don't believe in the real reason then you're not going to follow it with wholeheartedly I feel like we're getting value for money from you because I feel like we're getting loads more dishes than your five <laughs> yeah yeah so, <laughs> so yeah that. you're all about good value yeah yeah let's have, a, let's have your third your third dish so the third dish uh, I'll keep this one quite simple it was, we talked about it before about um, Alinea and it was their A1 beef and A, A1 sauce to them is like our, from what I can understand it's like a cross between HP sauce and Heinz ketchup kind of thing and basically they they've broken down every single flavor that goes into this sauce and they did it in multiple different ways whether it be an oil a puree a dried tomato a dried bit of garlic and they did it with beef now it was nowhere near the most cleverest dish as in technique but it was the first time i looked at deconstructing something and i worked out how to break down a dish properly and I was looking at it last night in the book and, you know, I look at it compared to the others. It didn't look the most pretty on the plate. But for me, it's the most cleverest. And it, for me, as a chef, it's the one that where I, I, I realised for the first time how to deconstruct a dish and rebuild a dish um, without sounding too chefy. It's something we never really did at the Mamar. We never deconstructed something. But it's something I do a lot now. And again, something I'm thinking about a lot more where I work now is going back into the history of food where it comes from, why it was done like this, what's the ingredients, what's the story. There's a a story behind every dish. It's understanding that story and then thinking, can we bring something more? So of all the dishes from Alinea, that's that's the one that, again, made me really start to think and analyse where I can take food to the next level. And again, I didn't do it there and then. I did it 10 years later. But it always stuck in the back of my mind. So it was like a real journey for me. I'm going to break the format because I'm looking at the time and I want to get all your dishes done. Yeah, so yeah. let's have the fourth dish, but there are some more things that I want to ask you. Yeah, so, so the fourth dish was, um, it's a really simple one. And uh, as I say, I, me, me and Ollie Debu, um started working at Mamma together um, two weeks apart. And he was, he was like my older brother. He really helped me. He'd worked at a few more kitchens, really, really helped me. And we seemed to follow each other around the kitchen. So when he opened his first restaurant, Debu's in... Um, in London it was like it was a proud moment for me it really was and I remember we went f- for the for my first meal and I'd heard a lot about it you couldn't get couldn't get a table and they were saying it was like the biggest opening in London since Marco P.L.Y. and and the first dish I had was his um his hispy cabbage with sunflower mayonnaise and sunflower seeds now it came in a bowl and I was just like okay and I put it in my mouth and it was just amazing how he made two items tastes like the most bespoke amazing coleslaw ever with minimal fuss minimal effort maximum feel-good factor maximum flavor and i just looked at it and just thought wow there's a clever guy <laughs> you know without trying he has just blown my mind with three ingredients phenomenal phenomenal talent uh you know we were saying before when when you're in a restaurant Ollie, for my entire career, I would say it was like, from the up-and-coming chefs, was like the most talented chef I've ever cooked side-by-side with. Until a little-known Luke Selby turned up, who, in my opinion, is just like the most naturally gifted chef I've ever worked with. Um, You know, luckily, I've I've worked most sections with him. He's just phenomenal. Ran the kitchen with him at a mama to see where he is in life now. But just to think that those two now work in the same building like for 20 years the most talented chef i worked with to now without a shadow he is luke is just there aren't words to describe someone like luke he will go on to be one of the greatest chefs ever to come out of this country without shadow of a doubt because he's got the passion he's got the drive he's got the talent and he's got the mentality to do it and again credit to raymond raymond blanc and gary jones like they have you know 
they've created something very special there. Yeah, but and then, like we said earlier, then but then to add in chefs like yourself into the mix that they've produced, and I think you know you are a chef that I have followed your career, and you know coming here today has been such a, a something that I've really wanted to do for a long time. You know, really we were trying to get around to the sampling, but mm. we just we couldn't and so as soon as I saw you here I was like right that's it I'm going to approach you we're going to do the podcast because I've got to come and, and meet you so yeah. you know you, you should take something from, yeah, from that as well no it is and you know do you back yourself are you quite no like, I, I do back myself like but I confident guy? I am I am a confident I'm a confident guy with my own ability my own ability um, some some chefs might say you cop out or, or whatever do do I ever feel that I want to be a Jason Atherton with multiple properties. No. Do I want to be the best that I can be in the property I am? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm I'm getting to that stage now where I, I, I want more from life than just cooking all the time. Uh, Accolade-wise, if something was to come naturally, fantastic. If not, I've achieved more than I've ever set out to do. You know, I've never, ever said I wanted to win a Michelin star or anything like that I never said that but they're, they're, they're great achievements and you know when I break down you know I've achieved a lot um, and you said something to me earlier that was interesting and, that, and it obviously comes across there in your story that this is the first proper professional kitchen that you've mm. worked in that isn't a Michelin star yeah absolutely so that's really interesting yeah and, and that, that takes its toll really does because um, yeah. I suppose you have a kind of set yeah standard or a set absolutely yeah and that's what makes it interesting now like cooking in the in the price brackets of what we charge for foods now like i used to you know work at a place that was charging more money plus for a bowl of risotto than you can get for a three course a la carte now that that, that that's a different mentality completely and and we were both shocked when we saw the the affordability of this menu today absolutely and that's not to say i thought you're an expensive chef just that it's very 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 reasonable yeah it is and it is and 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 that that needs to bring another skill of mine out of making food enjoyable value for money yet still hitting my gp you know we're still a business um you know and the three courses for 15 pound for lunch it's, it's not many people cooking that in this country but we're still we're still making a gp we're still making a profit but it's about building a reputation and about a long-term plan it's not about short term let's yeah. let's fill the till that's that's not the plan here so if i came back in a year's time i'm not going to find you doing tasting menus and no no it's people ask for a taste menu if someone asks for a taste menu of course i'll, I'll oblige for a taste menu but it's not it's not the direction i want to go because i don't i think taste menus i'm not saying they're dying out but i think people are are less prone to a, a sitting in a restaurant for two hours, two and a half hours. I know for me, I'd, if I could have a taste menu uh, and a seven course taste menu in half an hour, I'd be happy days. I eat food so quickly, I would, I would just, you know, but that's not the way chef wants to intend it. And I understand kitchens take time to produce food. For me, right now, I think where 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 we are is we're at the beginning of a, a, a long journey. Um, it's a really exciting one, a project that really excites me. But it's going to take time. And I don't think, uh, you know, again, saying about changing the styles and the approaches at the sampling, how it didn't work out in the end. I think if we start going one direction and then all of a sudden we change another direction and then we come back to another direction. One, I'm not going to be able to keep my staff. Two, guests aren't going to want to keep coming back. So it's it's about finding a consistent path, a consistent journey mm-hmm. and sticking to that plan. And, and you know, there, there will be dark days, you know we're sat in the what was it middle of november and it's been not the greatest week for numbers but every other week since i've been here has been phenomenal for numbers so it's just about saying hang on well it's not broke it's just christmas let's let's get back on and you know and 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 really trying to trying to find you know the 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 market and i say the the three course 50 for 15 pound is purely for getting locals here it's not for the tourists that come for one day. It's not for the people that want to use Travel Zoo and Groupon. It's it's, it's for locals. And, 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 and in the Lake District, locals are the ones that are going to keep us in business through the winter because tourists don't come here in the winter. They come in the summer. So it's it's, it's finding that. They should because it's gorgeous. Yeah, they should do. We've but had the most lovely day. It's just stunning. Yeah, well. it is. But, you know, people... What a stunning location this is as well. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a sensational uh, property. Um, 
great views great views um and as i say it's such a homely place staff so friendly so homely uh so family-like and as i say it's it's a project that really excites me i wouldn't i wouldn't be here for any other reason and it's a a project working with uh with an owner and a group of hotels uh you know for me are going places i mean like kevin tickle and ollie martin from hippin and forestside i mean there aren't many three three property uh, groups that have got three chefs like that in a group. Um, That's, yeah, it's a good roll call. Yeah, it's and a good and, register. And the way we work together and help each other is phenomenal. Uh, you know, Kevin Kevin sends stuff from Forestside to um, Marco salads and apples and things like that. And and Ollie's just had a new kitchen, and I went down and I've just taken all his old kit. And you know, I am like the uh, the little the little sister, little brother. I am getting the hand-me-downs, but do you know what? It doesn't bother me in a stretch of imagination because I've had the beautiful kitchens, but this means more to me because this is... I'm starting with, mm. you know, from scratch with with the basics, yeah. and, and it means more. You, you find out how good you are as a chef when you don't yeah. have the fancy bits of a kit, um, the the prime ingredients. As I say, the most prime ingredient I probably have in, uh, in here is a pork chop, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's... You've got to do something. You've got to be good yeah. to make a pork chop, sing and dance. Let's have uh, your last dish, and then what I want you to do is to pick, if we had an imaginary specials board out of the five, yeah. which would be your kind of favourite to put on the specials board. So let's have your last one and then your favourite. Yeah, so, so the last one was, it's one of my dishes, um, and it was back when I was doing National Chef, and again, Gary Jones really encouraged me to do it, um, and it was the semi-finals, and I think it was a vegetarian starter. And I'd always wanted to do again it's taking in everything that we've just talked about it was like a deconstructed version of gazpacho and i love gazpacho something i used to make all the time at the mama but it was just proper gazpacho served in a shot glass nothing out of the ordinary and what i wanted to do is i wanted to showcase beautiful english heirloom tomatoes um with the beautiful tomato essence that was every chef dreams of it from the mama it's just like a classic recipe and then i wanted to make it a little bit special and different to make it stand out so my idea was to get some very small baby peppers stuff them with a red pepper sorbet and then as you pour the the clear tomato essence as you ate the dish it would obviously melt with the the um sorbet and so you'd go from having a tomato essency dish to making a spatula in front of your eyes and i remember i went to this idea with uh gary jones and he, he was he was a little bit like mm, i'm not too sure about this and i just thought i need to do this it's something that really felt right. And, and I worked on it and I worked on it. I, fit, I did my 16-hour day at the Mama and then I stayed after work and worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And and when that dish finally came on, and I was just like, it was fantastic. So then when I went to the salmon and I evolved it to the next layer, I, level, I really did, I, you know, sheets of olive oil jelly on there and, you know, really took it to the next level. Where I found some beautiful tomatoes, grew, grew our own micro herbs to go with it made some beautiful infused oils and it's one of those dishes that has evolved with me but it typifies everything from proper grounding cooking to that cleverness of a linear and wd-50 and it's just really mashed together yeah and and yeah it's just one of those dishes you know always will be close to my heart everyone always sees it on instagram or twitter and says oh can you you know do it I don't know if I'll ever redo it here because I'm not sure it's, it might be a little bit too clever and, you know, because sometimes now I've got back to the mentality of there's nothing wrong with a proper bowl of gazpacho now. So that, that shows you the mind shift off. Yeah. It's gone from, oh, it's just a bowl of gazpacho to I need to do it deconstructed and clever. And now I'm just like, just doing but, but, but there was nothing wrong with a good bowl of gazpacho. <laughs> and that shows you the journey and yeah. the maturity of a chef. Yeah. You know, I'm 36 that now. That kind of marks you, doesn't it, really? Absolutely. And uh, as I say, there's just nothing wrong with, you know, yeah. things done properly if they're done properly. So the one dish, if I could, I think it would it will always go back to the monkfish at the Mama. Just because, still now, wow. Like a little kid in a sweet shop. Just like, wow, is this what food can be like? It was, it was... Yeah, it was a, an inspiring moment that will live with me forever. And you know, if I could have that dish again now, I, you know, I'm sure they still have it on the menu at the moment. But such a seasonal dish, oh, phenomenal dish, absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, that would be my my number one dish. 
Well, all I can say is that we have had such a lovely morning and afternoon here today. This project, as soon as I saw it, I was so excited. Um, we were desperate, to, like I say, to get to the sampling. Obviously, that didn't work out, but uh, more than, more than, more than happy to have met you here at yeah. the Ryback. Um, and I'm just delighted. So thank you so much for no, coming Thank you. Time. It's been a pleasure. Um, and I'll see you soon. Yeah, I'm sure. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Ta. Thanks again to our fantastic series partners, ChefWorks. Check them out on social media. Just search at ChefWorks UK in Ireland on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Hashtag ChefWorksWearer if you wear ChefWorks and you want to feature or get in touch with us and maybe you can appear as a chef of the month. Now that would be really cool to see a chefy listener of the past feature as a ChefWorksWearer of the month. That would be really cool. You can get in touch with me on twitter as well at the past pod uh, i am also the underscore past underscore podcast on instagram or you can email me with stories of best dining experiences perhaps celebrities and restaurants is always fun uh, i'm at paul at the past podcast.co.uk and perhaps i will grovel with chef works for an apron for our best email that gets read out on the show that would be cool you can have your own apron chef works apron that would be really lovely to see somebody in that uh, you can take a nice picture for us cheers guys and uh, we will see you next time around on the past podcast cheers